Robots vs. Dinosaurs is a proud member of the Apocalypse Podcast Network. Check out Apocalypse Podcast Network for more great podcasts. The following podcast is brought to you by Robots vs. Dinosaurs. Disclaimer, this podcast is about to spoil several movies from 6 to 20 years old. Lou, read off the list. Today, Robots vs. Dinosaurs will be spoiling for you, the listener, Tron, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, The Lion King, Star Wars, Harry Potter, Pleasantville, The Flintstones, Jumanji, Page Master, Labyrinth, The Lord of the Rings, Underworld, Tremors, Click, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, Saved by the Bell, The Mandalorian, Eerie, Indiana, The Love Boat, Fantasy Island, Jim Henson's Dinosaurs, The Walking Dead, and The Muppets. Hello and welcome to Robots vs. Dinosaurs, the podcast where we watch a movie every week and then try to determine which one is cooler, robots or dinosaurs. I'm your host, Louis G, and with me as always is my co-host, a new co-host every week. This week, I am joined by Steve Bauman. Welcome, Steve, and please tell the audience what movie we're going to be talking about today on Robots vs. Dinosaurs. Well, this is a favorite from my childhood that no one seems to remember until I show them a little bit and they go, oh, I kind of remember this. And that's Adventures in Dinosaur City, a classic that rode on the coattails of, of giants like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and <laughs> snuck in in 1992 right under the radar. <laughs> It rode on the coattails of a lot of giants that I think we're going to talk about. What what channel did this even air on? Because I saw afterwards when I was researching it that it was made for TV, but uh, I never, I had literally never even heard of it until you told me about it. I the the two most likely sources for me are probably either going to be Disney Channel, growing up, or maybe a VHS rental store, okay, of some sort. Those are the mm-hmm. two most likely. It came out in 1991. This was a really good time for anything involving dinosaurs, the early 90s. Everything was rad. Everything was huge. Everything was neon and scaly and dinosaurs. Anthropomorphic animals were huge because Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was just like becoming this huge thing. So any time you could take an animal and make them like a punk rock (laughs) character at the same time, they did it just because they could. And friends with a thirteen-year-old. That's important. If it can, if it can be friends with a with a thirteen-year-old with attitude, that's a that's very true. important component. Uh, well, I want to. That's uh, something I've got to talk about as we get into this. Is the ages that they chose for these characters? Absolutely. And there's uh, there is, I think, a connection that I want to ask you about and give you sort of an, a chance to introduce yourself and what you do because. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you, is this property related to the Muppets in any way? Like, is the Henson Company involved in the puppetry? Oh, Lord. Of this movie? I did look this up. There is one person that was involved and listed as, uh, who is credited as doing uh, like creature effects uh, okay. and the puppet effects. But then on the IMDb page, he's credited very oddly as like a second unit director. Okay. It's real strange. But he went on to do uh, animatronic work for uh, Jim Henson's The Dinosaurs and um, Up at Christmas Carol. He was involved with the animatronics. He was animatronic director for a bunch of different stuff. He worked on Walking Dead and um, is still working in the industry. Mm. And as soon as cool. I find his name, this will be an interesting fact. <laughs> it's still interesting. I th- this definitely has has the tone of Muppets and, and the Jim Henson properties that it's kid friendly, but also just has these gags every once in a while and these sort of mugs to the oh, camera yeah. and that style of humor, that variety almost, show, almost Looney Tunish in moments, uh, especially mm-hmm. the fight scenes that happen at various moments throughout. So, Steve, why am I asking you about the Muppets? What what's your connection to the Muppets? Uh, Well, I've been doing podcasting for six-ish years or so, and we started doing a main podcast called A Play on Nerds. We did 136 episodes of that, and we kind of ran the well dry. Uh, (laughs) The show was becoming a little bit big and unwieldy, and it was getting harder to release more regularly. So I said, let's take the things that we really liked from this show, and let's make a couple smaller shows. So uh, one of the things we enjoyed doing was talking about Star Trek, which is my co-host Jarman's passion, and The Muppets, which is mine. And we said, how can we make these two things kiss? So we came up with a show (laughs) called Muppet Trek. And uh, we were do one-to-one episode reviews of Star Trek, the original series, and The Muppet Show. We compare, we contrast, we talk about connections. Everybody in that era was on the love boat. Like, that's the secret. Yeah. That's the thing you don't know. <laughs> Everybody was on the love boat. Everybody. Um, <laughs> and then we, we switch around characters and just have a real good time. And you get and a bunch of facts from both shows. 
And I bet Fantasy Island, too, because that was like a, a, a very famous like yes. guest star every week show. Right? Well, then on top of that, you get Ricardo Mont- Montalban, who went on to be Khan <laughs> in Space Seed and then Star Trek II Wrath of Khan. It's amazing. All of, the, all of the connections that you find are absolutely amazing. And I think we're probably going to find some obscure, weird stuff in this <laughs> movie in particular today. Uh, this movie is directed by Brett Thompson, which really not a lot of credits. I was honestly surprised when I looked him up because I, I'm going to, I'm going to, bit of a spoiler. I liked this movie a lot. I was <laughs> surprised its, with how good, tenets. how enjoyable it was. I, I, I don't want to be exaggerated and say, oh, it was so good, but it, <laughs> But yeah. I enjoyed it very specifically. The some of the stars: Omri, Ka- uh, sorry, Omri Cutts, Sean Hoffman, R. A. Mikhailov, Peter Koch, probably pronouncing his name wrong, Tiffany Poston, and Mimi Maynard. And I'm probably forgetting a few. There's only one person in the cast you're going to recognize, and that is uh, child star Omri Katz, who is also mm-hmm. in things like uh, was it Erie, Erie, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. The, the, the kids sci-fi show. Yeah. It was like a Veronica Mars before Veronica Mars. Yeah. <laughs> but like, but with, with more, I think supernatural elements. Okay. Let's talk about the opening sequence of this movie because it, it kind of, it's one of the reasons I really like it. It sort of couches the reality of what your, you, the audience member are seeing before you even enter into the, the reality of this film, uh, because right. it starts with this opening sequence that it turns out is the opening sequence of the cartoon show Dinosaurs, or I, I, I'm a Dinosaur little confused. Dinosaur City, or whatever. Dinosaur that City, was. possibly. I'm a little conf- unclear about the title, <laughs> but but it shows us things like a Grim Reaper dinosaur, which turns out to be, I think, Mr. Big. It shows us this whole dinosaur city, people and dinosaurs living together, going to strip clubs together. There's a train yeah. that buses them to and from the city, and we kind of land on a house uh, inside of a house and these three kids are hanging out and one of them is reading and one and and the youngest the, the seemingly youngest i'll say the shortest of the three yeah kids, the shortest of the three <laughs> kind of rips into this girl who was reading about you know she's he's like you call that a dino story and uh she kind of gives him some sass it's my story and it's a serious artistic statement okay and immediately we're starting off with this. This is like a Diablo Cody film. Like the, these characters have their own vernacular, and and like everything is a volcano reference or a ta- you're pulling my tail kind of thing. Have, did you well, notice not, that? Like right well, off. Not the bat? only that, it well it gets worse later. <laughs> like yeah. it gets very thick later, but they don't. They're not afraid of it this early. But this is something I'm going to bring up, and that's the. Mm-hmm. Actors, and this is something that happens throughout films in Hollywood and history, is that they some writer writes this film and he's like, all right, and this kid's six, and so this kid's like ten, so she's like twelve, a little bit older. Uh, uh-huh. And and then some some casting director goes, I'm not casting a six year old. All right, so that kid's gonna be eleven, <laughs> and so the boy will be sixteen and she'll be eighteen, and we'll cast them both over eighteen, so it's easier. Uh, <laughs> like some casting director made this choice, but they never looked at the script and were like, does this make sense anymore? <laughs> Yeah, how does a high school boy and a high school girl reading like a fan fiction together? Like Jamie, Mick, and Timmy are clearly our our Harry, Ron, and Hermione. But how did these three become friends? How did this group form? Right, it makes no. It's so good and terrible um, <laughs> that they just didn't think about how weird the situation was and how excited these teenagers are about an, watching an animated VHS of dinosaurs. <laughs> like they never like looked and went, "Oh, this doesn't make any goddamn sense." It's it's uh, wild. Oh, do you have a family friendly show? Do I need to watch my language? No, go for it. Okay, it's cool. uh, whatever you. I'm yeah. not crazy. I just need to make sure I'm going to be careful if I need to be. Not at all. Don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> it's it is it's wild, but I appreciate the table setting in the in the sense that these kids are already saying things like, uh, you know, you're pulling my tail. Well, later, when they go into the basement, it's the ultrasaurus of televisions. Uh, one of them just flat out says volcanic as like as like an ex- exclamation for something. So it's very much like these kids are super into dinosaur culture. Right, right. It's already a and huge it makes part it weirder there. though. Like that doesn't make it yeah. better. That's the worst part. Because <laughs> now it's like, why is a seventeen-year-old so into dinosaur fan fiction? Yeah, who is this me at seventeen? Come on. 
<laughs> That's right. <laughs> Their parent. Now the parents, and it took man, it it took me a, a minute or two to figure out who exactly this is the parents of. But it shows the parents. It's Timmy, right? Yeah, the, yeah, because um, he knows the code to get into the lab. And they are. I didn't even realize this was in a basement. They're just in this lab, and <laughs> they have a code orange, and they're literally shooting an orange into some sort of wormhole. They congratulate each other because they've just broken the bonds of time and space, which is very, very undersold. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, this whole thing reeks of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, but not in scale. Like, they didn't care about the implications of this, like in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, where this is a huge thing. They're like, this is just a device to get you to a dinosaur cartoon. Yep. And... and And it's not, even though they've just made the discovery of the scientific discovery of human history, they got to catch a plane and go to a convention. Nothing can, can keep them from this convention. So they leave the experiment completely set up in the lab and just ready for somebody to bump into a button and activate it. And that is obviously what's going to happen. The mom, this is the, this is when we find out the mom just, they just come upstairs from their incredibly advanced basement lab. And mom tells Timmy, whatever you do, don't do it alone. Uh, which I, I guess is a, a message about friendship. I don't know. I don't know what lessons I've learned from, I'm gonna learn from this movie. We find out from Timmy how the parents, uh, how, how they fund all of their research, which I thought was an interesting detail. They, they apparently pat- patented silent drape runners. So they went from that That's big money <laughs> from that, that type of uh, invention to world breaking dimension, breaking reality, altering science. That's true. I don't know, but I think that that's also a commentary on how actual science works. Okay. Like scientists have to make money doing something else in order to like do what they <laughs> actually want to do most of the time. Or they can't <laughs> do what they want to do unless they can find a way to market it or put a face on it or. Yeah. How many yeah. times have we seen this Tron? Like, uh, who, what did, in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, what did Rick Moranis do for money? What What was his, I'm sure there was, was some explanation there, right? He, well, he goes and he gives, I might be thinking of the second film where he actually works at a lab. He works at a legit lab in the second film. In the first film, I think he goes and gives a presentation, maybe at one point to a bunch of investors. That's that sound right? It sounds right. Maybe he's I, a professor. I don't know if he does anything. His wife is in real estate. That's what I know. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. He's showing he's a, a house husband. this afternoon. <laughs> Man, I got to go back and watch that movie. But yeah, the, the, this it's the typical like we're you know we're these scientists we're we're setting up this crazy experiment and we're just going to pretty much leave the, the keys in the car <laughs> so that anybody and we can have we use have it. a locked door with a code. But don't worry, we told our twelve year old son the code. <laughs> And remember, in the original script, he was probably six. Let's just keep that in mind. In the original script, he was oh a six-year-old with the code to this lap in the original script. That's one good decision that Brett Thompson <laughs> made, for sure, it's was true. aging up that character. So through convoluted facts and, and series of events, and you can fill in any of the details in case I'm glossing over anything important, they, they find a remote, they press a button, and they get sucked into the cartoon world. Yeah, uh, they, go, they go through a wormhole. The, the effects here are surprisingly adequate. I agree. This movie, I agree. the wormhole stuff and them actually going in, I was like, oh, okay. Uh, they ran it's out of money, bad. though. You can always, I love watching <laughs> in productions where they ran out of money. And here it was, they're like, oh, we're going to do this huge effect where they get sucked in the wormhole and we're going to get computer graphics guys to do all this stuff. It's going to look great. Like, okay, so how do we get them in? How do we do that effect? And they go, yeah, they don't know how to do that. So we're just going to open a door and put some fogs and light behind it. And we're just going to throw the actors out of it. And that that's how they got to Dinosaur World. That was the other Brilliant. end of that shot was them like, oh, we ran out of money or tech. So just put some lights and throw them out of the door. <laughs> Oh, I love Go it. Go back and watch it. When they enter that sort of world, it's just two big doors open and they get thrown through. You know what? It 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 doesn't matter how low budget it is. When when you hear about like what they did to get a practical effect, you it always pays off. Oh, it's yeah. always worth it. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but now the important you know, thing is they're in dinosaur world finally. They're in dinosaur world, and we are introduced to. Uh, <laughs> I got to double check this name, Fori. Who is called that because the type of dinosaur he is, well, technically flying lizard, is a Rampharynchus. Now, um, this is a good opportunity for me to ask you, Steve, 
one of the oh, questions no. I like to ask every one of my guests on robots mm-hmm. versus dinosaurs. In your words, your definition, what is a dinosaur? A dinosaur is a large mammalian creature that is now extinct and has lizard-like qualities, but we're likely warm-blooded. Okay, cool. I like it. Uh, as far as what science knows right now, I'm pretty sure everything I said is technically true. Technically true, and it's <laughs> it's it's it's, it's a, what I like about paleo the field of paleontology, like any other good field of science, is that it's always evolving. We're always finding out new things. Everything that we used to know about it is constantly getting overturned. I remember when we were a kid, the idea that some some dinosaurs might have had feathers was like a big thing. And now they're pretty sure they're like, oh, we're pretty sure lots of them had feathers. And now it's like, yeah. oh yeah, there's a good chance most of them had feathers of some sort. It's just from when we were kids, it's totally different. So Fory, Fory is the type of, let's say, prehistoric animal that uh, some some people might be pedantic and say it's not a dinosaur. It's technically just a flying lizard. Interestingly enough, probably wouldn't have had feathers. Uh, no. The, yeah. yeah, it's like the 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 ones that you imagine as scaly and like T Rexes, T Rexes and raptors. Those are the ones that really right. had the feathers, which is interesting. Fory is <laughs> Fory is. Saturday morning cartoon character, one of many. I mean, this whole entire world is what we're meant to believe, I think, is that the kids are not seeing puppets running around and things like that. It's like they're seeing a a Roger Rabbit reality. Is that, would you agree that that's sort of the concept that we're buying into? I mean, the the, the model that we show in the beginning, maybe not in the beginning credits, but when they actually watch the the movie, uh, is very Flintstones esque. Mm hmm. If you look at it, uh, in fact, there's one background plate that's behind tops at one point that could be from the Flintstones, like a Flintstones house in the background. Um, yeah. So I immediately, my mind immediately goes to like the Flintstones movie with Rick Moranis. Uh, okay. <laughs> that happened. And that's the kind of reality I'm imagining <laughs> almost is this okay. all encompassing. But in this case, it's darker. It's almost post-apocalyptic in that like this whole thing has seen better days. Yes. Almost, yeah. Almost Super Mario Brothers, almost, but not <laughs> nearly as much money was blown on this film. I guess I guess what I'm trying to ask is like is this sort of a Pleasantville situation or like a Tron situation when they're when they're sucked in and like they 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 seem to be aware, Timmy especially, they seem to be aware like Jumanji when when they're sucked in the new Jumanji movies when they're sucked in and they know it's a video right. game and they know that, that there are like rules to a video game. In this case, Timmy knows, like, we're in a cartoon. We are cartoon characters at this point. And once they sort of accept that reality, all of a sudden, Jamie and Mick can both do karate and like, stuff like that. Yeah, but they didn't. So so I, I agree that they did a little bit of that, but they didn't keep it solidly through. Oh, no, absolutely not. Um, no. Or like sometimes <laughs> there's very little consistency. Could, could fight a bunch of people or throw them through the air. And sometimes he seemed weak and useless for no reason. But like they didn't play it constantly. And so it couldn't, it didn't become reality. It was mm-hmm. just a question of if they were going to play the bit or not, I guess. Okay. In my opinion. Um, and I don't think, I think it probably falls more in the realm of Tron than Pleasantville because Pleasantville is about these people going and visiting and Pleasantville is exactly what they expected. Mm-mm. Okay. Versus this, where they go to dinosaur, and it's not what they expected. Their heroes aren't heroes. They go and find that they're gamblers and grifters. <laughs> So in this case, I think it's more like Tron in that way that they go in and find the opposite of what they expect. Instead of finding order, they find disorder and chaos, you know. Yep. Chaos in the form of the Rockies, a roving band of, or gang maybe, of cavemen and cave women who are literally treated as property. And we'll get into that a little bit. Yes. Um, to, to the degree that I, I found this particularly weird that Fori, when uh, this one particular cave woman who I think the character's name is Missy, if I was tracking right. right, she was wonderful. She had some of the best one-liners and like throwaway stuff, and she ends up being a good guy later. But there's a shot of just very unnecessarily gratuitous shot of her legs as she's walking away, and we see that it's like a POV shot of Fori checking her out, and he's like... <laughs> What uh-huh. what is the reason for why these dinosaurs are already attracted to human women? Like, what's the reality here? I mean, it could be because in this reality, we've basically without I'm not sure how far we're going to dive into the plot, but we've got Mister Big who has made allies mm-hmm. with the cavemen and effectively let them move in. It's effectively Lion King. 
and the hyenas. Yep. They're the hyenas. And so maybe it's the the hostage mentality of you start identifying with the people holding you hostage or uh, hoping for, you know, that, that subconscious hoping to be something more by, by lusting after them. Yeah, but they play that angle with the, the little dinosaur and her multiple times throughout the film. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's just to characterize Fori as like, he's a little horn dog. Like he's just yeah. that it just gives us like, he's a little bit of a unsavory character, but, but he's going to be our guide because, through this world. Because anyway. the cavemen are in power. It could be because, you know, lusting after that power in turn. <laughs> Um, we're diving deep into adventures (laughs) in dinosaur city yep so (laughs) we get our first uh sort of glimpse into this overall arching plot when link who is the leader of the rockies he takes the cooling unit for this volcano that is apparently this high-tech thing that's that's the only thing keeping the volcano from overflowing uh, overflowing and destroying dinosaur city yeah sar city sar city (laughs) they take it and then everything starts rumbling and uh the the so this is where what's his name timmy timmy's the youngest kid right he starts he already knows Fori, and he already like introduced himself and he's like you're Fori. you're Fori, Um, you're famous and they're all starstruck and stuff (laughs) yeah it's great you you uh, got over your fear of flying, and that's what that's what your third act big hero moment's going to be. And Fori is just kind of brushes them off. He's like, you know, first you hominids waltz in here without an explanation. You insult me, and by the way, who are you? I like that the the twist of this whole concept is like they're in the crazy world, but their their guide into it is not like, hey, let me show you around. It's like they know more about the world than their guide does. Um, so maybe in just, that way it is like Pleasantville. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. At least Timmy. Like, Timmy's the one that's really leaning into it right from the get-go. Mick is very upset. Mick just wants to, he starts throwing things immediately, has a uh, fit, they're all They're all into it, man. They all knew that <laughs> stupid dinosaur salute at the beginning, okay? They all did it. They're all in on this. Yes, yes. Uh, but it takes it, it takes it takes some of them a little longer to get into like the the fun of it, let's say. The yeah, the like let's use our matrix powers while we're here. Then what happens? They have to get to Sar City in order to find Tops and Rex to help them get yes. the thing back and save Sar City. And they have to cut across like a swamp with a huge set piece of a huge skeleton they have to cross and mm-hmm. almost fall in. It's just a little bit of prolonged drama. And it's because they can't use the train because the Rockies are, are have taken over the train. Uh, Fori gets kidnapped. They show us Mr. Big's office. And <laughs> Mr. Big... Mr. Big is crazy. Mr. Big is a crazy character. You've sort of described him already as like, um, uh, what did you say earlier? He was like, um, who is the Mr. Gadget? Uh, Oh, like like Claw. Claw. Get you, Gadgets. Yeah. That was amazing. That was really good. (laughs) And he has like a trap door in his office and a, a little like cave person that operates the trap door. Yeah, Mr. Little. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, of course. Because this movie is aggressively unoriginal about naming characters. (laughs) Just aggressively. (laughs) I I feel like they were on set, and some some supervisor went, wait, none of these guys have names. Why don't any of these Mm. guys have names? God. Okay, Mr. Little, all right. Link, good, (laughs) fine, fine. We got to have something to write in the hangers for wardrobe. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. But yeah, he does this trick a couple of times of offering somebody a cigar and then using the the pun, want a light, and then opening the trap door and dropping them into the lava. He is the typical kind, Mr. Big is like the typical kind of, he has dumb henchmen and he's constantly at, at, at the end of his rope. By their because of their antics, he yells at them. He's like, "I'll have no more foolish games from you, idiots!" And of course, he's going to be brooking a lot of their idiocy for the rest of this movie. Okay, yeah, we kind of yada yada through this extinction grove. It's like the elephant graveyard from The Lion King. Yeah, very much like another. Vi- you mentioned like the hyenas. Uh, Scar, yeah. Scar is who we said Mr. Big is kind of like. Yeah, Scar. there we go. We'd get. I knew we'd get there eventually. Yeah. Uh, 
Mick encounters water, this is where we find out that Mick has hydrophobia right in the same moment, the first time he encounters water, and he also falls into the water. And I noted that this was the first of many Star Wars moments of this movie. It kind of reminded me of like the Dianoga in the uh, trash compactor. In the trash unit. He's like getting pulled under the water and there's this sort of snakish creature. And Timmy tells us that it's a Mesosaurus. What happens from there? This is okay. This is when they, (laughs) they make it through Extinction Grove. They get to Star Uh, City. They get to Star City, and it's and the next Star Wars moment, the cantina. They walk into the cantina, basically. Oh, but like the most forced moment. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would love to say the most forced moment in this movie, but I know that wouldn't be true. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. when they walk in, and the whole bar turns to them. Like a record scratch we kind of moment. We get, the, we get it. We get it. And then not only it goes on for four seconds too long, but then everyone goes back to doing what they were doing for no re- for no real semen reason. Except for, like, I think somebody spilled a drink and a bartender laughed. And also a dinosaur hooker says, looking for action, big boy, to our main character who is 12. That's right. <laughs> he was six in the original script. Please remember that. <laughs> Every I just, time I wrote- we get to something like that, just remember that. I wrote down the timestamp because this has to be a record for uh, 37 and a half minutes is how long it took for this movie to show us a dinosaur hooker. (laughs) Well, we had to wait to get to Dinosaur City. Dinosaur Prostitute, you're right. It wouldn't make sense. It wouldn't make sense for the plot if there were just dinosaur prostitutes everywhere. Yeah. They yeah, have to you're go right. To the city to see the dinosaur prostitute. That's how you're it right. Works. They had to establish. They had to establish. They had to set the table first, and then put right. the dinosaur prostitute in the movie. So, so this is one thing uh, from a structure point of view. I will say I do appreciate about this film. We're with the kids for, as you mentioned, like 37 minutes or something like mm-hmm. that before we really get our first look at Rex and Tops. And what I appreciate about this, and this is something that I don't think would happen in a movie today, is that because we spent so much time with these kids and we got to see them establish dynamic, get there, get established, have their, their own motives that cross their own boundaries without real aid, it's their adventure. Mm-hmm. We're on because the filmmakers took enough time to establish that it was their adventure. In movies today, um, you'll see a lot of times it's like that first 10 minutes, that first 12 yeah. minutes before they try to get you into the world. You know, if you're going to go to a magical world, they want you there right away. Yeah, like there comes someone else's adventure. Yeah, uh, it's um, I, there's strong parallels to Jumanji. Have you seen the recent Jumanji movies? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think they're very good, but it's exactly what you're describing. The first kind of 10, 15 minutes are, these are the characters that The Rock and Jack Black are going to be parodying. And we're just setting the table so you can see, like, the impressions. It's not their adventure. Exactly. They can pretend it's their adventure. It's not their adventure. That's a really good point. It's a really good point. Yeah, and this, um, that's something this movie does, I think, I agree pretty well uh, with these characters. then we meet them at 38 minutes in. We meet. You know, the two other main characters are going to make the rest of the plot happen. And these characters, uh, Rex and so, yeah, I think I have a few more notes about this, uh, this bar. Um, none of them have your club. Love it when you get primitive. Oh, man. Yeah, I was. OK. They introduced this, puns. this singer, Raquel, who is absolutely visually Wilma Flintstone. And oh, yeah, and she's, she's brought out in a thing carried by guys. Very, very prim and proper. Uh, I wrote down some of the, yeah, I wrote down some of the lyrics of the song she was singing because it was raunchy for a kid's movie, like suggestively mm-hmm. raunchy. She uh, Something about like, you know, I'm, I'm making time for a lot of other guys in my cave, but none of them have your club. And I love it when you get primitive and take that ring and put it through my nose. Dot, 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 nose. Uh, yeah, we're seeing our heroes play full uh, full cave or poker. Or like one of them gets a, a, win, a poker win. And they say like full yeah. cave instead of full house. Uh, what is going on? Oh, yeah. Somebody orders a primordial ooze at the, <laughs> at the bar. And it's just like foaming, fogging. It's like foggy. Yeah, smoking, Fog is yeah. like smoking drink with a scorpion in it. And one of them has eyes in it. Yeah. Uh, like a little frog creature. And yeah. So that was another Rex, one. So, so, so something I, I love movies like this where they had a very movies in this mid range where they had a very set budget, you know, not a modern blockbuster. They had a very set budget for things. 
So they had to really choose what effects they were going to show. And so there are effects that someone was very proud of and they clearly spent money on. And so they're like, we're going to put this on camera for three seconds. And the director (laughs) went, this should be a really quick shot though, like second in a way. And they're like, no, someone, we paid a lot of money for this. We're going to show it for three seconds. And those drinks are a perfect example of that where they cut from the kids and they showed it and it should have been a quick shot, but they just kind of sat on it. Yeah. Second. Cause they're like, we got to show this. We got to get our money's worth out of this bit. And this, that's an example of the kind of like variety show gag. It's like they're, they're making a meal out of that, that shot. Oh, yeah. They're making a oh, whole yeah. gag out of it. So You're, they're, they're giving the audience that's not there time to laugh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of it's pretty fun and it's it I, again i was really caught off guard by some of the moments in this movie where i was like i'm really having fun i'm really enjoying this this is really like selling me on the reality of it uh i'm not i'm not like a long i'm not enchanted i'm not spirited away into dinosaur city but i'm <laughs> i feel like i'm laughing along with the fun that the the filmmakers must have been having while making the oh movie. yeah it feels like it was fun tops Tops is incredible at karate <laughs> for, for, a, for a creature that like lumbers around on all fours like a rhinoceros normally in, in real life. This thing, the fact that they chose like this is the creature that we're going to make the ninja sidekick oh, yeah. to Rex. And he's also in every, in every way Rex's Barney Rubble. Wait, I think somebody, I have that in quotes. I think somebody says he's Rex's Barney Rubble. Um, it would have to be I'm one of the kids. Sure. Because then they yeah, that, admits that, that the Flintstones exist in their reality as well. Oh, good point. I w- yeah, I wonder if they. I wonder if they acknowledge that. <laughs> Let me see. Oh, Mark. Okay, Mark Martorana was the Mark Martorana is the actor that plays <laughs> Tops. Didn't really find anything else he was in, but he had top billing on IMDb for this movie. Wow. Uh, there's. <laughs> I looked as well. Uh, uh-huh. There, there are very few actors and people involved with this film whose career escaped the mid '90s. Yeah, which very is very few people have credits past the mid '90s that were in this or involved with this film. Do you think the movie was cursed? I think that <laughs> that because if you look at the credits of these people right before this, a lot of them have these kind of things that are kind of impressive or would maybe show promise. And this this movie was a lot of people's chance to like show them. And I think it just, everything was just subpar enough to make, yeah. well, a fun movie, not something that's ever going to be recognized as a classic or a great film. Um, <laughs> I, I think that a lot of people failed to prove themselves with this movie. That's, that's probably, I think that's a good way to put it. We're actually about to get to one of my favorite small performances in this movie, which is Jeff Ash, Jeff Ash. Oh, I looked him up too. He was great. He was great, and what do you know him from since you looked him up? Saved by the Bell. That's right. He was Maxwell Nerdstrom. <laughs> That's right. Screech's arch nemesis, who always love. went after Tori Spelling, whoever the hell she played. I can't remember her character's name. I love the way that he comes in, and he is making a choice here when he's like, you know, I heard this place is where all the toughest sours hang out. And he just keeps hitting that word and the way he chooses to pronounce sours, he turns it into an insult. Like it doesn't, it's not, but he turns it, it into context. an insult. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it well, works for me. It's so good. Well, and I also love in a world of all these other, these other cavemen we've met who are exactly the cavemen that you expect to suddenly have <laughs> this one small, very well-spoken caveman in the middle of them. <laughs> It gave a focus to that situation that had they just thrown some big, scary caveman in, it would have just become another fight. But because Mm -hmm. this little guy was driving this scene and making it happen, it turned it into something a little bit more. Yeah, I think his character's name was Bigfoot. <laughs> I Sounds was trying right. to look him up. Uh, I think his name was Bigfoot. Another thing he said, he makes fun of, um, what's his name? Forey. And he says, uh, look, it's the little bird that couldn't fly. Which, interesting, because of course we know Forey, the character, can't fly. But just interesting that in 1991, we knew just enough about dinosaurs. It was like cutting edge dinosaur science that dinosaurs right. are related to birds. And it was like just starting to be part of the conversation. So it's interesting that they use that as an insult 
against a dinosaur mm. in this movie. And also when that dinosaur gets bonked on the head, uh, Fori gets bonked on the head, cartoon birds fly around his head, just like that in Roger Rabbit. Very, yes, that was very weird. Yeah. It was almost, <laughs> almost out of place. I was like, oh, okay, that was a choice. All right. <laughs> Which breaks, it makes like almost like an inception level of reality where, again, I believe that this is a cartoon world and everybody has hand-drawn cartoons when they're sucked in. So if this puppet that is representing a hand-drawn cartoon sees ha- actual hand-drawn cartoons right. of uh, birds, but is that just a different animation style? But then why didn't know, we see any of this anywhere? Why didn't we see pows and kabams? <laughs> all the fights then like literal animated pals and companions. maybe that's the way they should have gone with this movie maybe that would have been brilliant <laughs> yeah really lean into the roger rabbit of it really um, lean into the toontownness and then yeah. just throw christopher lloyd in there because what the hell is he doing he would have been a per- he would have brought a, the exact right energy that was the one missing ingredient from this movie it would have been I the perfect he, i alchemy. think christopher lloyd should have been mr big i think that would have made the film <laughs> well, Would you we care are, for a light? Ooh, that's good. There we, go. there we, go. <laughs> we are, uh, spoiler, we are going to talk a little bit about recasting at the end. Um, Ooh, okay, I'll hold it. I'll hold it. So Everyone's Christopher Lloyd. That's my spoiler alert. <laughs> Timmy says something about hobbits, sandworms, Captain Nemo. He's, I think he's, he's saying, like, you know, we've never gotten a chance to never get a chance to like be in a, a big adventure like be this. an adventure. And yeah. And he's, he's really leaning into it. He, he's, you know, listing off his influences and these uh, things that he's into. And he's, he's been all in since the beginning of this adventure. Oh yeah. Well, he's the, and, he's the eyes of the true believer that mm, any good kids fantasy film needs is the eyes of the true believer. That's a good, that's a really good archetype. The eyes of the true believer. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, look for yeah. it. You'll find it. Yeah. What and, are, and, a lot, can, and mind you, a lot of times uh, in films, it's the archetype that the true believer stops believing, and then okay. the story is them finding their belief. Page so Master, like, Labyrinth. Mm, I'm thinking like of, Sam. A lot of Stranger in a Strange Land films or scenarios. I'm thinking Sam, yeah. like Samwise Gamgee, he would be the, the true believer, right? Uh, yeah, probably. Him and Frodo, kind of, okay. collectively, are the true believers. Huh. Nice, nice. Got outsmarted by Neanderthal. Who did? Man, so I, sometimes my notes are as crazy as the movie. So here's, here's what I remember. They finally talk yeah. to Tops and Rex, and he like convinces them that they're his heroes and that they've got to save it. And this is where he sort of has to wrestle with the fact that they're like no good low lives, kind of. Yeah. And they're hustlers a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, they're more interested in just playing cards and like it's it's very much like we find out they're Han Solo and Lando Calrissian. <laughs> yeah, when we except for, they were except for their, But unfortunately they're both Chewbacca. That's the that's the <laughs> downside for the rest of the film. They're both Chewbacca. <laughs> and that's what we're stuck with for the rest of the movie. We get this audacious fight scene, which is the first time that we really get to see what you talked about, the cartooniness, where uh, the boy realizes he's got, I've got a rocket. Is that what he says? Or I've got a, he punches a guy real hard and then realizes. Yeah, he's got a loaded, a loaded weapon or loaded loaded gun gun or something like that. And we get that. And it's fun. We get to see some big high flying moments. You said we get to see tops, this poor actor in this costume have to do some ridiculous things, including throwing his leg up and like kicking a guy ah, behind him. Yo, uh, those kicks point. are high. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, and then his bony plate heads flopping around in the wind. It's, somebody should have looked at that from the effects department. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they escape intact, and they run to like a safe house uh, in in the swamp or in the jungle or something. And in this fight, the <laughs> J- Mick discovers that he's strong. Jamie discovers she can throw a punch. Timmy discovers he can freeze time. So he's... Right. Zach Morris remote. now, and he can just freeze time with a remote. And time out. Nothing. Nothing. There's no stakes after that. There's just they have the time stone. Like they have the. <laughs> they have the, the, yeah. the, the so this is this is where, from a rest of the movie point of view, this film suffers from a script perspective. Mm-hmm. Is that yes, you're right. It becomes the power stone. It becomes the focus. But we don't know what Mr. Big's actual plan is. Yeah. So we don't, there's for, even though we know it's a powerful, there are no stakes because there's no recognition from the audience of, Oh no, Mr. Big could use that to, 
do that thing he was talking about that the heroes don't know about yet. <gasps> you give the audience that moment where the audience gets to know something the characters don't, which for any movie is a very rare thing nowadays. But instead, they just sold it down the river. So because we didn't know what Mr. Big's actual plan or plot was, we didn't know why this was important or how he could use it. He just wanted it. As a matter of fact, the next thing I have written down is he's yelling at Link because Link brings him the thing, the the MacGuffin, and he yells, why isn't this over by now? And I just checked the time and I wrote down hour, three minutes of this movie. I'm asking the same question, Mr. Big. What villain also (laughs) wants to leave film. (laughs) Yeah, this movie is, its total runtime is a merciful 98 minutes, which, uh, which is 88 minutes, but yeah. Really good. Uh, Bigfoot it's, goes and tells Mr. Big about the thing, about the remote. And that's the when remote. Mr. Big needs the thing and sends all these goons into the swamp hideout to go get it. And they do. They immediately outsmart Timmy. He gets outsmarted by Neanderthal immediately. And then that leaves Jamie and Mick, Mick to go undercover. And Jamie seduces a couple of cavemen which had me questioning, like, how old these characters are yet again. <laughs> um, right? Yeah. Uh. It's, <laughs> it's wild. Missy. Missy has the best line in this movie, where this is this is a very, not very, this is a perfect level of subtlety for this joke. She Link is trying to figure out the remote. We find out later the batteries are literally missing, but for some reason he can't get it to work the same way that Timmy did. And Missy says, that's it, we're over. There's definitely something missing, Link. And uh, they don't linger on it, though. They don't no, give they it that, like, it. Uh, they just There's pass on. They just keep going. <laughs> um, but not me. I paused it, rewound it, and, and watched that a couple of times to make sure. Because <laughs> I love jokes like that. So now Mr. Big has Timmy and has mm-hmm. the remote at his evil tower. Yep. And they find Dad locked up in a basement. They find, yeah, I think his Rex name was is King. Dead. Right? His yeah. Dad, Rex's dad was named King. They King find something. him. I couldn't, I did listen for it. I couldn't quite make it out what his actual name was, but I think they say it once, very garbled. And he was the one that was uh, labeled as a traitor. Everybody thought he was a traitor. Even Rex thought he was a traitor and he hated him. Of, and Yeah, Rex's dark backstory that haunts him and he confides in Timmy at one point mm-hmm. earlier. Which, and it's like a really nice, deep character arc, kind of, God, sort of. He, it it could have been. I feel like I want to be generous to everything in this movie, but uh, the the Rex was really uninteresting. Rex was a a pill every time he was on screen. I was kind of like, okay, can we get it? This is, I know this is the main character of this dinosaur world, yeah. but we got to get someone more interesting in here. Well, the worst part was is that to- not only that Topps as a character and as a puppet was so much more expressive. Yeah. And easier to watch. And you could tell when his mouth was moving and when he was looking at people. But mm-hmm. not only was Rex big, unwieldy, and le- his face was less manipulated, he was a foot and a half taller than everyone. So there was no way for him to to make it look like he was looking at <laughs> anyone without looking like a <laughs> dumb idiot wearing football pads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no yeah. Uh, and this is, but this is the big emotional moment for Rex because he finds out that that his dad was actually drugged by Mr. Big because Mr. Big just has this magical potion that he can make you drink and then you do whatever he wants you to do. You know, you know what? So here's, so this part was so shallow. <laughs> it was so shallow. Uh-huh. It was the tide pool at low tide. It was so shallow, this thing. Because he's like, dad, you betrayed us. No, son. I was drugged and forced. Aw, dad, and they hug. It's four, four, maybe five lines that resolves Rex's life. Yeah. It resolves his life. Yeah, it goes from, oh, I didn't even know this guy was considered a traitor. Oh, well, it's only because they framed him. Oh, okay, he's forgiven. Uh, That was a wild ride. That was a roller coaster. Oh, my (laughs) God. But my hope. I, like, here's my hope in all this. I hope his dad lied to him. I hope this was all just a <laughs> lie. His dad's a piece of shit who sold out all the dinosaurs to the wrong guy. Oh, man. And, you know, if this. And in this if, final moment, he like lies to his son. 
if this movie was made from like 2010 to 2015, it would be the first of a trilogy. The second one would be the backstory where we find all of that out about right. the character. Uh, so yeah, maybe maybe someone will reboot this one day and we'll get that um, dark I backstory. I hope it's the guys who did King. Underworld. Oh God. That's who Which I, I want doing this thing. I hear that franchise is actually coming back soon because everything's coming back. back. They've made one every three and a half years. <laughs> it's like Weird Al. Every album is his comeback album. Every single one. And uh, Tremors. Tremors just recently had a sequel last year. Oh, and man. Tremors. And they have a, a television show that was on sci-fi for a while. Tremors has a huge thing. Tremors Cold Day in Hell, I think, is yeah. the name of the new one. A big fan it's, of Tremors. You same. It's it, I, I got back into it when I found out there was a seventh movie because I'm like there were there's there's been six and a TV show. Uh, the um, horror comedy genre is very much where I where I live deep down. So yeah, man, I think there was some sort of Tremors connection to this movie, but if we get to it, I'll I'll okay, get really yeah. excited about it. But well, Kevin um, Bacon was in Tremors, so as you know, you can connect Kevin Bacon to anything. That's true. They get up to the top of the tower. They get to they get to Big's office, and Timmy uses a button to vaporize Big. I don't know what button that is. We've seen like a pause button. We've seen them like use. We I, surprisingly we didn't see like a lot of uh, like the movie Click, the Adam Sandler movie. A lot of play with like rewinding, pausing. Like I expected more of that. But well, yeah, because once they establish this MacGuffin item. You expected to play a huge pivot in the rest of the story, but it didn't. It had this one yeah. other moment. Uh, and I'm going to assume that it is either the pause or the eject button. The eject button might have. Yeah, that might have been what, because he is vaporized. Is, and you see his bones for a second. Like just it's for a violent. second. For, for uh, the reality this, that we're can, sold can, into, it's violent. Can we yeah, talk about them going up to this level, this, situ- this insane situation they set up for us to walk into, where they have mm-hmm. Timmy suspended upside down by a rope with a pulley mm-hmm. over this pit. And they're going to torture him to tell him how to use the thing. And then as, as Rex walks in, the only other confirmation that his dad isn't a lying piece of shit, Mr. Pig goes, great, give him the potion just like the others. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, I guess that completes that plot, huh? Which is the potion, like, does it take a while to make it? Is it like, are there rare ingredients? Why is it not the first option? Why is right. it like, we got to hang this kid upside down and torture him first why not just be like, well, we could save some time and just give him the potion. Oh, yeah. I can, without having to work too hard, I can think of like four things to, to fix this movie's plot just off the top <laughs> of my head. Just off the top of my head. Without having to create too many more things that could be done. Uh, Missy and uh, Jamie end up fighting and then somehow end up not fighting and end up on the same team. Missy says she's evolving uh, that's one giant leap for womankind. I don't know why all of these <laughs> cavemen had these like thick Brooklyn accents, but they sure did. Except for Link, who kind of sounds like t- three different. Kind of sounds like Bobcat Goldthwait. Oh that's man, really missing. <laughs> yeah, like God, Bobcat. Yeah, that's what man. I was having so much trouble placing. Like, what does this guy sound like? That's exactly what it was. Yes. So, thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> Forty. The whole tower is like exploding. I guess they decide they have to destroy Mr. Big's tower. I'm not sure oh, why. Okay, if, okay. If you can yeah, make yeah, it make and, sense. And once again, no, no, no. That's the thing. They never set up what Big's goal was or what his evil plan was. So I think the implication is that this tower was in some way central to a plan that they didn't share with the audience. They decided we didn't need to know for the sake of this. And so it had to be destroyed. This tower had to be destroyed to stop Mr. Big's evil plan, despite the fact that Mr. Big was dead (laughs) by the time this happened. He was gone. He was stopped vanquished. And we don't know what this tower does. So seemingly, they just destroyed this monument that took... Mm -hmm. Dinosaurs probably like decades to build. <laughs> realistically, they just blow it up because. And his agents aren't even that loyal to him. Like Missy immediately switches sides, so they could they could easily they could have used a lot more diplomacy, is what I'm saying. <laughs> but instead, yes, I agree. If there's one thing this movie lacked, it was diplomacy. 
<laughs> well, Forey's version of diplomacy is he took back the big blue glowing thing. He decides he's going to fly it back while they take the elevator down. There was one nice poetic thing tucked in here, and that is mm-hmm. that Link, the big muscle head, goes to take the elevator down. And they're halfway between floors, and then that's when Forey takes the thing, sticking Link in the elevator when the building right. goes down. Right. And and Link was the one that stole the thing. So it was the one like nice little, okay, they they, they tied that up. Okay. Good for you, the one script guy who snuck in. Yeah. That's Except a, for those poor <laughs> elevator workers who work for tips, they died too. <gasps> oh, I didn't those even think about that. poor elevator work. They work for tips. Yeah. Those are, They're those dead. are. Those are the like independent contractors on this on the Death Star that you know yeah. the in, the innocent lives. Oh yeah, you're right. Collateral damage from these heroes. Before he doesn't have time to worry about that because he has rediscovered that he can fly and or I, I don't know. Would you call this what he does flying or falling with style? Uh well yeah like more like a glider like a, <laughs> like a flying squirrel. More than yeah. anything, I think is how it's, it seems to be. Then they yell, the thing that they yell a couple times in this movie that Thunder Pit is, or something like that, Thunder. Oh, what is it? I know they say, give me claw. That's a big one. Claw. And they, but they do this like Destiny's Thunder Child. Tail or something. Hand, maybe it's Thunder Tail and they oh, yeah, do like, like an <laughs> avatar <laughs> kind of, yeah, dance move. salute thing they all do. <laughs> Kid mm-hmm. six, just remember. Everything makes sense if you think about that the kid is six, the nerdy boy is ten, and the girl is twelve. Except for the part where she seduces two full grown men. Try to think about that less. Not only that, she also develops a penchant for inflicting cranial trauma on people. There, there's like this moment, I think, after they've escaped, they've stopped the bad guy, and there's like one more caveman. I think he's already on the ground, and so, and Jeannie's like, no, allow me. And she grabs she a club joy. and just, just joins in the face. Yeah. It, you know who it was? Oh, it was the one guy, the, the one dumb guy left behind to guard the, the like power plant. Mm-hmm. The one dumb guy. That's who it was. Yeah, the guy that they left behind that, yeah, yeah, okay. Who might have been, like, Missy's first of three husbands in this movie. Maybe. No, the first one was the the guy that went into the fire pit first. Bear. I think his name was Bear. Bear. Yeah. Yeah, the the guy with the big stogie. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) God. Uh, so yeah, then they, they, they do the thun, they do the thunder pit destiny's child hands. Um, they get, they get the, they find, I don't know. They, they plug the thing in, the door opens up, uh, cooling unit comes back on, they've saved Mm. Sar city from the, the lava and it's time to go. It's time to go He doesn't want to go. That's right. That's right. Cause he's having too much fun in Sar city. He enjoys being, he feels home when he's here. Yeah. And then we get that classic moment where the two characters go through and they look back and they're like, did Timmy come? Oh, no. And then, of course, Timmy <laughs> shows up at the last moment. Uh, but you have yep. to have that, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 moment where mm-hmm. you don't know if Michelangelo comes back at the end. Good call. He does. He does. I don't want to worry our audience. Michelangelo Spo- comes back. Spoilers for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles <laughs> if 3. You Thank didn't you. didn't see it by now. <laughs> I got to put that in the spoilers at the beginning now. No. Yeah, you do. I ruined that. <laughs> Uh, no, then, someone else ruined that film. I ruined the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> you might you might have actually saved somebody an hour and a half by right. spoiling it for them. Uh, uh, Jim so, Henson's Creature Shop was not involved with Teenage Mutant Turtles three. Just for the record, <laughs> not involved. Timmy eventually comes through. They the kids find themselves back in the basement lab, and then Jamie delivers this sick burn. Hey Tim, you think you can churn that thing off better than you churned it on? <laughs> just savage absolutely not holding uh, any punches back and of course um, they come out just in time for mom and dad to come home from the science conference and they don't try to cover it up i this was this surprised me more than any this was the shocking twist ending at the end of this movie uh this surprised me honestly more than anything else because i'm i've watched i watched so many movies of this type and so many sitcoms with this plot where like mm. kids got into the thing that their kooky scientist oh, yeah. parents are into. They shouldn't have gotten into it, but they made an incredible discovery. And then they try to cover it up. Like the whole entire plot after that is right. them trying to cover it up. These kids, their parents get home and they're just like, we got to show you what the fuck we did in the basement <laughs> with, with your cool invention. We went to a dinosaur world. Well, what, the, what you're not here to see is the sequel to this where their parents <laughs> have locked them all in a different basement they have. <laughs> 
where they now have to live because they know too much. That's mm. the part of this we don't get to see in this film. Honey, I blew up the dinosaur city. <laughs> Yeah, Adventures in Dinosaur City 2, Underground. <laughs> um, and that is the ending. And then, of course, because it's the 90s, there is a rap about everything you just saw in the movie over the credits. They paid human people money to write a rap song about a film that, in theory, they didn't even see. In theory, they just told this rap person what happened in the film. <laughs> like... Like, it's on par with LL Cool J writing that song for Deep Blue Sea. This is right in line with that. My head is like a shark fin. My hat is like a shark fin. (laughs) That's literally literally the beginning of the song. Find it right now. My head is like a shark fin. Are there lyrics for Adventures in Dinosaur City rap available online? Because that, it was a banger. This is where <laughs> Google literally says, no, no one cares. <laughs> I'm the, no. Googling this has now put me on a watch, an FBI watch list, and I deserve it. No, cannot, I cannot find the lyrics <laughs> within five seconds, so that's as far as I'm going to You know what, Louie? You could contribute and be the first person to ever to tra- sit and to transcribe. About. <laughs> oh, man. It's well, like know, a shock fit. <laughs> I I just know that I loved it. It was a delight, and I just let it roll. I I listened to it all the way through because I it was. What else was I going to do when the madness had already settled in, and I'd watch ninety minutes of this movie? <laughs> I mean, it's the hottest rap based off of a movie since TMNT two and Vanilla Ice. Good call. I agree with that a hundred percent. Ninja. Rap. Um, I did. I really did enjoy. Honestly, I'm glad that you exposed me to this movie. I'm glad that you. <laughs> It informed me of, it, of its existence and compelled me to watch it because I never ever would have by my own volition. Well, and I, I think really you're going to have a lot it. of guests that need more obvious choices. Okay. So I just left a more obvious choice for some future guests. <laughs> this is my gift to some future guest of yours. I would call it your stake in your claim on on the best undiscovered dinosaur movie of the early nineties right. before well, anybody else are finds find it out now about that we're it. talking about it. Exactly. Yeah, That's there's right. about to be a resurgence. It might become so popular again that they will reboot it. Uh, you uh, should tag <laughs> that actor guy. What's his name? Ash. Jeff Ash. Yes, I should Jeff definitely Ash. tag him because he's so, probably still. So yeah, that's, around so that's, on that's media. one of my pro tips to you is as you like find minor people, if they're on mm. Twitter or something, how stoked I, my, would that guy be that you're talking about adventures and dinosaur city? Especially if I can get him like for a quick, like, like bite-sized interview just to talk that's about like right. his experience on it. That'd just be amazing. That, Jeff Ash, if you're listening, I really want to get you on Robots Dinosaurs. I'm going to tag you and uh, listeners. I want you to also at Jeff Ash, tell him to to contact me and be a guest on my show. I have two bonus questions, but before we get to those, Ooh. Steve, I just want to ask, okay. do you have any, any more notes or anything else you want to say about adventures in Dinosaur City? I mean, I feel like it's a movie that that had too many hands in the pot, too many mediocre cooks and too meager ingredients to make a childhood classic. And instead we got a bologna sandwich and sometimes that's all you need for lunch. Well said, well said. Speaking of lunch, Steve, this is a section of robots versus dinosaurs called what's your snack, Steve, what's your snack. I usually ask my guest, what is your favorite go-to snack when you go to a movie theater, uh, which we obviously have all collectively have not been able to do for a while. So when you watch movies at home, which you've been doing in quarantine, what is your, like, do you have, do you pop popcorn at home? Do you have a go-to home movie snack? And did you watch any particular, Hmm. have any particular snack during this movie? Uh, we've been doing more popcorn recently, but it's because my four-year-old loves it. Cool. So it's not something I pop on my own, but then she pops it, and then I end up eating it. Big on trail mix. But then when I did go to theaters, uh, big on Twizzlers. Okay. Twizzlers and Goobers, if they had them. But Goobers were hard to find. What are Goobers? They're, they're... Goobers are chocolate-covered peanuts. Okay. Simple. The, nice. I like yeah, it. Yeah, very straightforward, uh, but just hard to find. They're just more of an East Coast thing, I think. Maybe, hmm. Maybe they're just a no-coast thing. And then huh. a big old, and then a big old diet coke. They they make me think of like Boston because everybody I know from Boston uses like you're like gooba. You're such a gooba. Stop being a gooba. <laughs> you're freaking goob. Look at that freaking goob over there. I um this movie I watched. You know most of my, like most of my answers for this are like I was eating dinner while I watched it because I just. Fair. 
if I'm going to be watching a movie, I'm like, I might as well multitask and plan a meal around it. And I believe for this, I just had a mushroom omelet because I watched it in the morning. <laughs> okay, there we go. So, yeah, that a was my snack movie for Adventures in Dinosaurs. It was, it was good. It was a Saturday morning cartoon movie. So it was good to watch in the morning with like yeah. breakfast food. Final bonus question, Steve. Okay. I said we were going to talk about recasting. If we were to recast any two characters in this movie with Whoopi Goldberg and Danny DeVito, who would you replace and how would it change the movie? Okay. So Danny, okay. So here's what it's got to be. Danny DeVito's got to replace Mr. Big. Okay. <laughs> you would play the exact same funny. You would keep, you would keep him behind his dark hood and behind in, in different perspective to hide the fact that he was so little. It'd be the same funny kind of reveal. And then his, his Mr. Little would be this huge friggin' guy instead of a little friggin' guy. Yep. I think that's the play. I think that's, uh, yeah, like Kane from the WWE or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then Whoopi Goldberg is tougher. Uh, I feel like maybe she could be Fory. Okay. But maybe okay. only in voice. Like I couldn't see her in a bat. It would be funnier if she was in a bat costume, basically. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but maybe voicing that. I could see that being a sassy, hey, what's the problem, toots? But all Whoopi Goldberg <laughs> and not me. But there weren't enough. There weren't enough good female roles in this movie to constitute a caliber of Whoopi Goldberg. I think. Well said. Well said. For me, because I was so underwhelmed by Rex, I think Whoopi Goldberg could do a lot <laughs> as that character, <laughs> bring a lot to that role. So wait, wait. Are we talking about doing the voice or somehow Whoopi Goldberg being Rex? Steve, if you have not seen Theodore Rex, Whoopi Goldberg plays a cyborg in that movie. Okay. So you know you know about at some point, yes. Unfortunately I have. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, get her in some stilts and some anthropomorphic makeup. I'm saying get like we don't there. yeah, like it doesn't even need to be that much. We can see her full face with just like a head, like yeah, a, just need a, like a dinosaur mouth head over it. To maybe make mm-hmm. a little snout kind of thing. Or, yeah, yeah, I can get on board with that. And then DeVito I as Missy. For sure. Like, I. <laughs> hey, what's the problem, Toots? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I can get on board with that. And then he yeah. switches sides right at the end. Mm hmm. Yeah. Him and Fori end up very happy together. Awesome. Well, Steve, thank you so much for being on of Robots vs. Dinosaurs. Thank you for bringing this. Uh, Thank you for bringing this very, very fun movie. And listeners, if you haven't discovered this movie before and you're looking for something that's kind of dumb, questionably kid-friendly, but undeniably fun to watch, especially if you're maybe a little high. Um, (laughs) Check this out. I'm not saying you have to be high. I'm just saying it's like... It helps. It helps. This movie is, it's wild and it's fun. And I, th- I genuinely think if you're like into stuff like the Muppets and like gag humor, a variety show kind of humor, I think you, I think you'd like it. This, this really does have some appeal to it. And Steve, do you, can you just tell the listeners a little bit more about, uh, did you want to plug your. Oh yeah. Well, first um, let me plug, let me plug you coming on my show. Yeah, uh, yeah. Louis is going to be a guest on upcoming episode 43 of the Muppet Trek podcast where we had special guest Don Knotts and Star Trek original series episode Wolf in the Fold. And Louie added his own show to our mix-up with 30 Rock. It ended up being a very good match. Check it out on Muppet Trek in a few episodes. Uh, Muppet Trek podcast, you can find us everywhere. Facebook, Twitters, Instagrams, uh, every podcast platform imaginable. We also have the Sappy Crap podcast, where me and my best buddy of 25 years uh, just talk mostly about just adolescent fumbles. And growing up in Central Florida, we have a third podcast that uh, sometimes releases. It's a real fun concept, but it's hard to produce, called Real Opposition, where we pick some of the worst movies ever made. Jarman has to defend them. I have to tear them apart and then pitch a sequel that nobody wants. Uh, And they take a little bit longer to produce, so we have less of them, uh, but they are still coming. The next one is Police Academy 6. (gasps) Fun. (laughs) That's okay. So check us out, Mubba Trek, Sappy Crap, and Real Opposition, all of which can be pl- found on the A Play on Nerds Network. Awesome. The, check out A Play on Nerds Network and check out Steve on all the social media. I'm going to be linking. Oh, yeah. ch- I have all the links in the show and notes. We're going to so link Louie when, when we post our show. It's going to be Link Storm. Link Central. Just like Link from Adventures in Dinosaur City. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> 
who died in an elevator with an elevator <laughs> operator who works for tips. <laughs> this uh, this movie is unkind to the, the I working class. I think that if anything, this proves that there were okay people on the Death Star. I think this movie <laughs> confirms that there were okay people on the Death Star. Huge spoilers for The Mandalorian. Are you are you into that show? Because they sort of they semi acknowledged that they do get into that a little bit. You're right. Yeah, it's Uh. (laughs) also this was so much fun. And Steve, I would love to have you come back sometime. Maybe you could uh, bring a a robot movie next time to balance things out a little bit. Okay, I can find something terrible and obscure. I can't believe I I didn't ask you this. Uh, It's because honestly, it's been a while since I've recorded um, for a movie. I've been I've been covering episodes of WandaVision WandaVision, for the past several weeks. So uh, I forgot (laughs) at the end. I always like to ask my guest, would you would this movie? be a plus one neutral or minus one for dinosaurs. I'm going to go with this one being a plus one for robots because <laughs> this movie proves that they cannot possibly be as bad as dinosaurs. Oof, savage. That is yeah. almost as sick of I'll burn. take a point from dinosaurs and give it to robots despite the fact that there were none in this film. Ouch. Ouch. All right, you heard it here. Uh, it's I a great am... movie. Check it out. <laughs> With that ringing endorsement, uh, I am going to wrap it up there. And that is, that is Adventures in Dinosaur City. Thank you so much, Steve. Thank you. Hey, what's the problem, toots? Camera zooms in on me. So we get out. some high-proof alcohol. We get gasoline. Anything that says What funny. makes our lives worth living is our mortality. If there were not mortality, we wouldn't be packed. Luckily for me, most of the beauty pageants that I've um, participated in don't... I've work. done my fair share of blood, man. I've always liked showing myself off naked. Got up out of the seat, walked to me, and then slapped me. Spontaneous conversation with people from around the world on Stranger Than Christian. Available on your favorite podcast app and at StrangerThanChristian.com. Thanks for listening to the Apocalypse Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, go to ApocalypsePodcastNetwork.com. And remember, every time you support one of our sponsors, you're supporting the podcast you just heard.